I've never been much of a fan of New Year's. The weight of expectation, the compulsion to have the best night ever, and the enforced crack of the organised fun police? Fuck off. I'm not breathlessly running away from anything I'm trying to leave behind, or desperately chasing towards something I want, so the imposition of an arbitrary threshold always strikes me as... well, as a nonsense, really. What? Everything will be great once the bells chime at midnight? You'll never smoke again. You'll swim in the sea every day. You'll get that promotion and you'll finally shift that last stone? Delusional. So many people so dissatisfied with their lives that they're content to plunge headlong into a self-deception rather than face up to the inconvenient reality that they're just as ordinary as everyone else. That they're distinctly average. That for most people... The truth is that their lives are remarkably unremarkable. Thankfully, I made my peace with this fact long ago, and that is why, this December 31st, I am sitting contentedly in my armchair savouring a second shot of single pot-still sweetness when I'm disturbed from my vinyl-induced nostalgia trip by a message on my phone. Lisa, can you talk? Question mark. Lisa and I had worked together until about six months ago when she had, somewhat suddenly, moved to a new agency. It was a good opportunity for a great woman and she was dead right to go and do it. I'd told myself that the timing of it, so soon after the London trip, was probably coincidental. But just because you're paranoid. We'd always got on like a house on fire. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. It's not that we didn't get on at first, it's just... Okay, cards on the table. When Lisa first joined the company, I fancied her line manager. Lisa was good enough to get on with the job and not call any undue attention to herself. Not messing things up, but not necessarily excelling either, just... there. It was a small department, and with this blonde one taking all my attention, Lisa simply blended into the background. But as time went on... She started to come into her own, offering good, solid suggestions in meetings, and she wasn't afraid to push back on ideas she didn't feel would work. This ruffled a few feathers with folks who'd been there much longer than her, but her instincts were almost always proved right. I started going out of my way to make sure she was working on any of the projects I was across, and it blossomed into a really productive professional partnership. You can learn a lot about someone working closely with them like that. How they handle pressure, how they deal with disappointments, and how they celebrate success. Those celebrations with Lisa were seldom but wonderful. Not that we didn't have regular wins to celebrate, but that she always had more pressing matters to attend to. Already married and with a couple of kids, duty tended to call more often than not when the rest of us had the chance to let our hair down. But on those rare nights where she could make it, you got a glimpse of who she really was. Much funnier, much less reserved, much more, maybe, than she was letting herself be. She didn't talk much about her personal life, but when she did, I couldn't shake the feeling that she was somehow selling herself short. She was married to the same guy she'd gone out with in school, some architect dope, who didn't even have the decency to be a derivative glass box merchant, always annoying people with sustainable eco-bollocks. She loved her kids, of course fiercely protective of them. One of each by the time she was 28, and so that was her perfect family done. 
We hadn't spoken since she left back in June, so her message was certainly out of the blue. That it was coming at 8.30 on New Year's Eve made me pretty certain it was about one thing. The London trip was to be our crowning glory. Lisa had risen through the ranks quickly, and we were now the double act rolled out whenever the company needed to call in the big guns. If it was crisis management, pitching for a high-value contract, or sealing the deal with one of the big multinationals, we were the go-to guys. Well, guy and girl. There was something about that combination, the way our contrasting skill sets complemented each other, that could always get the job done. Nothing as crude as a good cop, bad cop routine. It was more that there was some kind of synergy, an unspoken understanding of when to step in and take control and when to let the other one run with the ball. We could feel each other's rhythms, in tune with each other's thoughts. One look could convey everything, a tiny gesture signalling strategy for the next attack. And it had gone perfectly. The London deal was done and dusted. It was only after that we each realised how stressed we'd been in the run-up, how much pressure we'd put on ourselves. The stakes had never been higher, either financially for the company or for us. And so the celebration dinner at the hotel that evening was a somewhat sedate affair, more come-down than carousal, quality over quantity when it came to the wine, with a 2001 Rioja for me and the Clos de Valpino for her, a woman of taste. The floor-to-ceiling windows gave a panoramic view over the Thames. Westminster, Big Ben, right down to MI6. Ah, London. A brilliant city. If it wasn't so full of Brits. We moved to the mezzanine after, espresso martinis in hand for one final toast to a job well done. The conversation flowed freely. No post-mortem of the successful pitch. Just two friends, comfortable in each other's company. She talked a lot about her family, especially those kids. She also opened up about her own past, a father who wasn't afraid of saying things with his fists and a mother too broken to do much about it. Until one night when Lisa got between them and took the shot intended for her mother, like a teenage Kevin Costner protecting a housewife Whitney Houston. Not on her watch. She may have saved her mum's face that night, but it couldn't save the marriage. Rather than a broken jaw, it was the camel's back that shattered and soon the dad was gone never to be heard from until the phone call from the hospice four years later. It wasn't long after the funeral that the future architect arrived on the scene, a schoolboy stealing the heart of a heartbroken schoolgirl, and the rest, as they say. And as we woke up beside each other that next morning, it didn't even feel all that wrong. A look, as we'd said a silent good night at her hotel room door. An invitation a provocation and an absolution all in one. We both knew what we were doing, knew what we wanted, both certainly still sober. Two adults, two choices. I wasn't the married one. And it was every bit as good as I'd imagined it would be. And so the memory of that night is flooding my brain as my phone is ringing in my hand, her name and face flashing up on the screen. Lisa, hi. No real time for pleasantries. She wants to know if I've been saying things to Rob. Now, this is where things might get tricky. Rob's a freelancer we used to use on video projects. I met him a few weeks back and he was talking to me about Lisa and the London trip and it certainly seemed to me that Lisa had clued him in on what happened, so I didn't contradict him. Presuming the new job wasn't the only fresh start she was making and maybe she'd left the architect too. Not so. 
Rob, the shit-starring Sleevine, was just fishing and had gone back to Lisa with the story. What am I going to do? She's asking me. She's ringing me from her car, in tears now, parked around the corner from her house. Told the husband she was going out for ice. She says she can't bear the thought of her kids finding out that it would break her. She's talking about her dad now and how, even though she hated him and what he did, she hated not having a father even more. Stop, I say. Relax. And obviously she doesn't, but at the very least she takes a brief pause. And it's in this moment that I make the calculation. The split second weighing up of available options that leads to the inevitable conclusion. Tell him I made it up. She doesn't understand. Tell him I made it all up. That I'm a creep looking for clout saying he hooked up with a beautiful colleague ten years younger than him. I mean, let's face it, it's more plausible than the truth. And if you and I stick to that, then you're fine. Won't that reflect badly on you, she wonders. Well, yeah, probably. People might talk, say how pathetic I am. Maybe some of the younger ones won't be as happy to work with me, but I'll survive. And I think you deserve a break. And that's basically it. She double-checks that I'm sure, that I'm happy with that as the plan. She thanks me for taking the fall and promises she'll call me when everything has settled down. Says she should have been in touch sooner. I deserved at least a phone call, but what with moving to the new job and all. And so she hangs up. Presumably to take a moment to compose herself, then return home to explain to the architect that they were sold out of ice. I pour myself another glass of single pot still sweetness, and I think of Lisa, and whatever form of content she'd crafted for herself. That wasn't being taken from her. Not on my watch. And as I press play, the turntable spins back into life, and a familiar saxophone refrain rings out. Another old Lang Syne. Should old acquaintance be forgotten?